So I just want to uh, welcome friends who will listen to this message online later and to say that I, I'm in, uh, speaking in, uh, in uh, High Street Whitney Methodist Church where I have received uh, a wonderful welcome and uh, so I'm very happy to share this mes- message about Easter with you. I've called it, Is It Important? Is It True? Well, we all know it's important. We've heard about Thomas and doubting Thomas. And um, so, is it true? It's so important to address that question. So I would like to look at the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. Um, Two years ago, we were unable to gather and celebrate our Easter faith at all. Last year, we were able to meet, but not to sing indoors. This year, We've still not seen the back of COVID, have we? In fact, I've learned this morning that several of your friends um, are suffering with it now. And I know that James Skinner, who was a minister with us some years ago, is not able to be with us because he has something, a hospital appointment this week, and they ask you to keep away from everybody. So that's a shame, but that's how it, how it's, how it is at the moment. However, uh, <clears throat> we can not only meet for worship, we can sing. Praise the Lord for that. In lockdown, as you saw on the, on the photo, we put the cross by the chapel gate for people to put flowers on it as a symbol of the resurrection of Jesus. We used to have that in the church. Also put up a table and invited people via the village WhatsApp to bring a small Easter garden on a tray, and several did that. We invited people to do the same this year, along with an invitation to join us for worship in the chapel, and several different people did, so I was quite thrilled about that. And our walk of witness, which we were again able to do this year, um, was quite well attended. I think we were over 30 people. That's the thing we do along with, the, with St Mary's, the parish church. So, <clears throat> a warm welcome to friends who are listening online and um, for this Easter message. Uh, as I say that, I'm aware that the Orthodox Church is celebrating Easter this Sunday. And our thoughts and our hearts are very much with the nation of Ukraine. Um, And we are hoping and praying that they will know something of Easter hope and joy, even as they experience such suffering and despair. We can only pray for peace and that through it all, many precious souls will come to know Jesus as their only hope in life and in death. I'm just reading uh, the history of Ukraine, and believe me, it is horrendous. This is a dreadful war. Many people are losing their lives, but do you know, the fact is, Ukraine has known far worse in the past. Um, I think it was between the two world wars when uh, there was a a famine, it was a, a famine generated by the collectivization of farmers under the communist scheme, Stalin. And up to five million people lost their lives in those several years. I think it was 32, 33. And there were other terrible times as well. They've never known what it is to be independent until they broke away from the USSR. I think it was in the 1980s. Uh, They were ruled partly by the Tsars, the Russians, and partly by the Polish. I never knew that. And then the Austria-Hungarian Empire stretched right up to them as well and had a say in it. So when, as you read, as you read their history, it it, uh, really uh, is so sad to see them suffering once again. So we pray and we continue to pray for peace. 
It's Christians throughout the world. And in very <coughs> different churches celebrate Easter and the resurrection of Jesus. I'm conscious that many more would very much want to believe, but they have honest doubts, just like doubting Thomas. And it's perhaps some of those doubts that I would like to address this morning. I very much hope, like Thomas, uh, we will all come to a point where we can say, my Lord and my God. So I trust you will consider the evidence and inquire further for yourselves as you have opportunity. And may I encourage you to not only to read the Gospels, but I want to recommend one or two more books which have been a blessing to me. Who Moved the Stone by a lawyer, Frank Morrison. This book's been around for a long time, but it's been republished. Um, he attempting to destroy the faith of those who follow Jesus, instead, while reading the Gospels himself, became convinced of the truth of Christ's resurrection, and he explains that in his book. As I say, it's now in print again, can be found um, uh, for sale uh, on, uh, on a website of a very well-known um, online retailer. Can I also mention The Language of God by Dr. Francis Collins, who is leading, a leading scientist in the Human Genome Project. He explains how he moved from atheism to a living faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm also just reading The Case for Christ, by Lee Strobel, an American journalist whose wife became a Christian. He thought she was mad, but he did decide to inquire. And because of his inquiries, he also became a Christian. But many remain skeptical. I remember several years ago, Canon David Cook, whose ministry has blessed us in chapel and church at Westcott, said this, in answer to the question, can we believe in God in this scientific and secular age, while I can't prove to you the existence of God, I can point you to some very good evidence for it. This morning I want to suggest, although I can't prove to you the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I can give you some very good evidence for it. And I want to do that under four main headings. Firstly, the empty tomb and the grave clothes. Secondly, the appearances of Jesus. Thirdly, the transformation of the disciples. And fourthly, and finally, the evidence of personal experience and transformed lives throughout the centuries. But before that, I'd like to give you the testimony of a high court judge. He wrote this. As a lawyer, I have made a prolonged study of the evidence for the events of Easter Day. To me, the evidence is conclusive. Over and over again, I have in the high court secured the verdict on evidence not nearly so compelling. As a lawyer, I accept the gospel unreservedly as the testimony of truthful men to facts they were able to substantiate. Is this important? I suggest it's vital and it affects our eternal destiny. St. Paul said to the Corinthian church, for what I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, that he appeared to Peter, then to the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more, more than 500 brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living. Then he appeared to James and the Apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. That was written before the Gospels were. Firstly, let us look at the empty tomb. 
It's in all four accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, very early in the morning of that first Easter day, the tomb where Jesus had been buried was found to be empty. And Luke puts it like this. They found the stone rolled away, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. The evidence of the empty tomb is not conclusive of itself, but it is valuable because it is not disputed. What is in dispute is why it was empty. The temple guards, who according to Matthew's account had been placed by the Jewish authorities to guard the tomb, had been frightened by an angel and run back into the city. They had been bribed to say that the disciples had stolen the body. They were not arguing that the tomb was not empty, but that it was empty because the disciples had stolen the body. If you consider the state of the disciples, the state they were in at that time, I believe that would be highly unlikely. They were terrified that they were going to suffer the same fate as their master. You'll remember Peter, who was largely their spokesperson, had denied three times that he had ever known Jesus. Most, if not all of them, had gone to ground, cowering behind bolted doors through fear of their lives. No, it does not seem at all probable. But supposing they had somehow managed to spirit his body away and lay it in another secret place, do you not think that as the story of the resurrection of Jesus spread, the authorities in Jerusalem, both the Jewish authorities and the Roman authorities, would have literally left no stone unturned until they found the body and so squashed the story once and for all? There is no evidence that they searched. They certainly never found a body, and I suggest it was because there wasn't one. So what are the grave clothes? John 20, verse 6 to 8, Simon Peter, following him, that is John, into the tomb, he saw the linen cloths lying and the napkin which had been around his head, not lying with a linen cloth, but rolled up in a place by itself. And he, that is John, saw and believed. Why should this sight of the grave clothes have made such an impression on John? Could it have been that the grave clothes were like a chrysalis case when the butterfly had emerged, undisturbed but empty? The turban around his head would, of course, been separate from the wrappings around his body, but that too may have retained the shape it had when wrapped around the head of Jesus. Whatever, the sight of the grave clothes must have been dramatic because it was that which convinced John because it says he saw and believed. Had Jesus' body been removed from the tomb by the disciples, the grave clothes would not have been there at all. Secondly, we have the evidence of the many appearances of Jesus to different people at different times, we know that on the first day he appeared to Mary in the garden outside the tomb early in the morning and later that day to the disciples in a locked room. He appeared to two people on the road to Emmaus. He appeared again to the disciples in the locked room when Thomas was present, as we have learned, and demonstrated the reality of who he was by inviting Thomas to touch the Calvary wounds in his body. He appeared on the beach in Galilee where he cooked breakfast for them again, showing that he was a real person, not just a spirit. 
And Paul tells us, as we've read, of many appearances, up to 500 people at one time, and including a personal one, which I assume was on the Damascus Road. It's been suggested by some skeptics that perhaps the appearances of Jesus were hallucinations, wishful thinking on the part of the disciples. Had there been just one or two appearances to one or two people, that theory might have been tenable. But given the number of occasions and the number of people involved, I suggest that it is not, especially bearing in mind the scepticism of several. Thomas, who said he would not believe unless he put his hand in the side of Jesus, where the spear had entered and seen the nail prints in his hands. He didn't actually have to do that. He saw and believed. And Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen but have believed. That is our privilege. Thirdly, the transformation of the disciples. The truth of these appearings to all these people seems to me to be unquestionable. Why? Because it had such an amazing impact upon them. James was the brother of Jesus, not to be conf confused with the brother of John. He had not been, so far as we know, a disciple of Jesus at all. In fact, there are implications in the Gospels that... Um, <coughs> implications in the Gospel, and I've lost my, my text, putting over two pages together. <laughs> Some of Jesus' family thought him mad. But James, the just as he became known, the brother of Jesus, went on to become the leader of the church in, uh, in Jerusalem, and he was martyred for his faith, and that is recorded in the Acts of the Apostles. Peter denied he even knew Jesus, and who, following the cross, was a shivering wreck. But preaching seven weeks later, fearlessly, men of Israel listen. Jesus of Naz Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, as you yourself know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, for it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So not only Peter and James and John and Thomas, but all of those early Christians were changed beyond all recognition. A fact, I believe, which can only be explained in terms of the truth of the resurrection of Jesus and, of course, Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. They were so sure of of it that they were prepared to die for it, and many, many did. So this brings us to my last point of evidence, personal experience and life-changing power. This perhaps is the most exciting thing of all. Paul wrote to the Ephesian church these words, I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be opened, that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That is mind-blowing. That power, of course, is the Holy Spirit. He is the guarantee of our complete redemption 
in the future, but also a present witness to the resurrection of Jesus right within our own lives. The hymn writer says, you ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. Time prevents me from sharing in very up-to-date testimonies of people today who are finding an Easter faith. I was delighted to hear recently of people coming to faith, a baptism and healings at the Whitney Well. You will know more about that than I do, I guess, but how encouraging, and we should pray for more like that. In our own benefice, the Evenlode Vale, two people have come to faith through the Alpha, Alpha course. Praise the Lord, and I was so delighted to hear that you're going to be doing an Alpha course. The Lord has indeed used that course for the blessing of many, many people, and I pray that it will for you here as well. I don't believe that God asks us to take a blind leap of faith. As I've tried to show this morning, there are some very good reasons, some good arguments, and some clear evidence to help us come to faith in Jesus and his resurrection. But at the same time, faith is not just a matter of the mind. It's also a matter of the will. We can choose to believe, or we can choose to reject. We have free will. If we choose to believe and accept Jesus as our living Lord and Saviour, he will give us a gift of his Holy Spirit to confirm within us the power of that resurrection life. It's been the testimony of countless numbers of people through two millennia. It's still the testimony of many people today. May our lives today be a living testimony to the power of Christ's resurrection. May they be lived in such a way that people want to ask questions and know more. And may we always be ready to give an account of our Easter faith. I close with a story years ago on Prince's Street in the heart of Edinburgh. This should be said with a Spanish accent, by, uh, rather a Scottish accent, by the way, but I can't do that. Many years ago on Prince's Street in the heart of Edinburgh, one of the many shops was displaying art treasures and beautiful paintings. A particular painting attracted the eye of a passing gentleman. He was gazing intently at a painting of the crucifixion with the Saviour extended on the cross, the crowd watching, Mary and others standing by. It had been a long time since this man had allowed any thoughts like those suggested by the canvas to enter his mind. Portrayal brought back the memory of long-forgotten truths. He was impressed, but he was troubled. Suddenly he became aware of the presence of a little ragged laddie who was also looking intently at the painting. That's Jesus, sir, on the cross. They nailed him there with that crown of thorns on his head and killed him, sir. He was a good man. He died for us, and that's his mother, sir, standing there, looking at what they did to him. The gentleman could take no more. It was too much. With a lump in his throat, he walked away. In a moment, however, in a moment, <coughs> he felt a tug on his sleeve. Turning round, he saw the little boy who'd been telling him the story. Looking into his face, breathlessly, he blurted out, I forgot to tell you, sir, I forgot to tell you, he rose again. Hallelujah. All the people said, Amen.